Fiona, thank you very much. Now, today could be awkward, just to warn you, uh, because I'm really talking to myself. Uh, but you are welcome to listen in if you'd like to. Um, this passage in Matthew's Gospel that Fiona has just read with us, for us, along with uh, the first part of James chapter 3, uh, it keeps us preachers awake at night. And it keeps us humble. And at times, it keeps us deeply self-questioning. Why would I dare to think that I could be a Christian leader and preacher? So all you're going to get this morning are the ways in which this passage has deeply challenged me. This sermon might help you pray for me. It might help you when you teach the faith to others. And it might help you choose wise people to listen to in the crowded marketplace of personalities and ideas. Now, we heard last week that Jesus wants his disciples to choose the narrow, harder way of risk and obedience. And at times, we were thinking last week, this will feel like we are struggling and we are straining. If you're out for a walk, it's, it's like being on a path where you are beating back the nettles and you're slipping over and you're forever going uphill and you're getting lost. And yet within earshot, there is a nice tarmac, dual carriageway that only seems to go downhill with people on it laughing and having the time of their lives. Now, I love people. And I also, if I'm honest, love people appreciating me and thanking me, and yes, even loving me back. So the temptation for me is huge at times, and that temptation is to downplay the gospel of Jesus, to make it easy for you, to make it low cost and low risk, to make it comfortable and undemanding and unchallenging. Like all of us, I see the falling numbers in churches across the land, and personally, I feel the cool contempt of some of my school and university contemporaries who pity my calling and think of it as a waste. Why not make the Christian life a bit easier, I ask myself. Well, Jesus says the gate is narrow and the way is hard. He does say it's glorious, and he does say it's joyful, but he says it's hard and narrow at moments. And I see here in Matthew 7, <clears throat> and to be honest, throughout the New Testament, that there will be false teachers, people who claim to speak for God, but don't. Now, I wish there weren't. And I sometimes wish that it was not part of my Christian discipleship to make discerning judgments about the people we give respect and attention to. It would be nicer to believe that everyone who claims to speak for God knows and hears from God. Aren't we done with arguments and disputes and drawing lines to shame who's in and who's out? Shouldn't we give everybody the benefit of the doubt? But Jesus says here and elsewhere that false prophets will come, that we will have to decide. Now, 
these false prophets were there in the Old Testament. Jeremiah challenged the false teachers who, in Jeremiah's words, speak visions of their minds, stuff they cook up on their own, not what they hear from God. The Old Testament prophets were often lone voices, a scorned minority of one standing up against a crowd of religious talking heads who riffed on that lazy truth that it's all going to be okay. Paul warned the Ephesian elders, after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. But it's actually deeper and harder simply than there will be false prophets. Jesus tells us there will be false prophets, but they will be in disguise. He creates this powerful image of a wolf dressed up as a sheep so as to remain unnoticed amongst the flock. And in one sense, it's a, it's a comedy image, but it's more than that. Some of these disguises will be clumsy and lazy, but others will be brilliant and convincing. Many false prophets seemed to have fooled themselves as well. And it's one level deeper still. False teachers and prophets are dangerous. They are as dangerous as a wolf in a field of sheep. They ruin and destroy. I can't just say it doesn't matter. These are just ideas. We should be respectful of each and every opinion. I can't because truth matters. It matters when I'm speaking on God's behalf. It matters to you that what you hear from me is true and humble and life-giving. Bad doctrine misleads, it misdirects, it makes us less faithful and fruitful. Okay, so let's just take a pause. Where have we got to? Jesus warns us that not all who speak for God are hearing from God. That it's hard to tell, at least at first, that false prophets ruin and undermine and spoil the faith of others. So why on earth would I shoulder the responsibility and stand at this lectern? Or why would any of us teach in children's groups or lead Alpha or help lead a service in the prison or join a schools team? Who would be so sure of themselves and of their faithfulness to God and of their capacity to hear and to learn from his word? Why would I risk my words and my leadership being the cause of your spiritual downfall. And then, Jesus seems, seems to make it even harder. Part of me wishes he hadn't, though I'm glad overall. The primary way that you discern whether I'm speaking on God's behalf is not, I know some of you have tried, it's not to feed a, my co a, a copy of my sermon into an app and see how it scores for doctrine and style and coherence uh, with a mark out of 20 and anything over 16 being acceptable and you'd prefer 18 or above. I mean, I, I find that daunting enough. Uh, the primary way that you get to tell that I am speaking for God is not poring over the detail of my sermons. It's by looking at my life. It's not by looking at my best published ramblings. You have to look at me and you have to ask yourself, do you see good things 
And do you see God things? And do you see the fruit of the Spirit in me? That's the way that you tell. Now, I'm not wanting any feedback on that issue. <laughs> Just to be clear, not yet anyway. Jesus has such a good practiced eye. In his culture, there were two trees that could, at a distance, fool people. The first was called buckthorn, which grew little blackberries that, without your glasses on, might be mistaken for grapes. And the second was a thistle, whose flower, at a distance, on a foggy day, might be taken for a fig. Now, in our culture today, we might think of crab apples or Seville oranges. Take a bite and you'll soon know that's not what you think of as an apple or an orange. Jesus' point is that appearances may be deceptive. So a, a, a false teacher might look like the real McCoy. So appearances might be deceptive, but fruit isn't. Go and eat a buckthorn berry, and you will soon know that it is no grape. Go and pick a thistle flower and pop it in your mouth. Then you will know it's not a fig. You know, go and munch on a crab apple and see how your taste buds like it. It's by the fruit of my life and my worship and my witness that you'll really know me to be trustworthy or not. It's by the fruit of the lives of all of those who speak for God that we will know them. Now, this is harder than it used to be in the age of online church and podcasts and the cult of the Christian super leader. We don't, we don't see the fruit of their lives so well. They're too far away. They can present a polished, photoshopped version of themselves, not the whole person. We don't see what they're like when the camera's off or when the microphone is put away. Now, part of me rails against this and I say to God not infrequently can't I just be can't I just be an adequate preacher who does a passable job of teaching the Bible do I really have to let it go so deep into my soul that it changes who I am because quite often I just prefer the former just to be able to in a sense impart information I know that this image of fruit has a broad range of meanings in Jesus' mind. It's definitely about my character, which is, of course, where the Sermon on the Mount begins. It begins, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, I'm not dumb enough to think that either you or God require perfection, although I did wonder when I read the parish profile four years ago. <laughs> Uh, but of course, as someone who loves God's word, you know, I actually, I yearn for God's fruit to take root in my soul. I long to be freed from selfishness and envy and pride. I crave a deeper integrity and obedience, even when that's costly. Now, being fruitful is definitely about my teaching. God has not left me dangling in the wind. It's not the case that I can say whatever I want as long as I'm nice to people. God has given me the Bible as my guide, my rule, my foundation. Part of me being fruitful 
is being able to explain it and encourage you all practically and compassionately to live it out. My fruitfulness, I'm afraid to say, also includes my influence on you and all those that I teach. I'm really sorry about that. Now, of course, you can ignore me and you can filter me out, but being fruitful for me also means that I should be helping you to live for Christ and to follow the hard, narrow way and to know joy and to know the joy of using your gifts in his kingdom, of being ambassadors for Christ wherever you go this week. That's something that I should be doing week in, week out. Now, as someone who was singled out in my earlier days as a more stand-up comedian than preacher, I have to therefore ask myself, does being occasionally funny and sometimes engaging and does loving creativity, does that help you, the congregation that I love and serve? Does it help you walk more closely with God? I hope so. But sometimes when I'm in a hurry, I just want to be a little bit funny and original. James 3 verse 1 says, Not many of you should become teachers because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. I've come to accept that and be grateful for it. This means that my role as teacher is not to impress you, but is to reveal God's truth and help God's truth produce fruit in your life. Thank goodness this saves me from the stink of hypocrisy, of being okay that I can say one thing out loud but live another at home or on holiday. I'm grateful for the privilege of having the time not just to study and to read and to listen to people, to amass information, but in a sense to grapple with God's truth and to pray earnestly that God's truth will shape my whole life little by little and that God's spirit will flush out the garbage and start to grow in me something sweeter and fuller and deeper. Amen.